Welcome back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach. I'm here with Brandon. And today we have a sidebar conversation on mask use in the coronavirus pandemic. We've got three different people with us today to give their perspectives on everything. And hopefully we can get some good conversation going because they can offer very different perspectives. One person from the UK, one from Nepal, and one from America, the United States. I just wanted to give you guys a chance to each go over, just give a brief explanation of where you're from, what the current mask mandates are in your area and what kind of things they cover and just generally how you feel about both mask use and, and the mandating of it. So uh, whoever wants to start can go ahead. I'm, uh, I'm happy to start. So I'm currently in the UK, well, I live in the UK. We have a set of guidelines which basically says that in any shops or enclosed public spaces, so for instance, like churches or places of worship or public transport, mask use is mandatory. We have people that, for the most part, stick to the rules. Some people don't. Um, there are fines available if you don't if you don't um, stick to the rules. So yeah, that's that's the UK pretty much. Do you mind if I ask really quick before we jump to the next one, what the, what the enforcement is like on those fines? Do you see that the cops are actually enforcing those and punishing people with fines or it's more loose and kind of like, you know, jaywalking kind of enforcement? Um, it's, it's a bit of both. It's basically down to the like police to enforce, like shops, for instance, can't enforce the rules. They can ask people that they need to wear a mask, etc. The, the fines have been increasing, so as more of a deterrent, um, and if you pay it within 14 days, I think you get a reduction of 50%, but it's about £100 or £200, I think now, which I think £200 is about $250, roughly, and obviously that can be reduced by 50% if you pay it within 14 days. Gotcha. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, I can go next. Um, hi, Zach. Hi, Brandon. Hey. Okay. Um, so um, I'm speaking from Nepal and here there is a mask mandate. You know, it's mandatory. Anytime you step out of your house, you need to have a mask on. It's illegal at the moment, right? Not to have a mask on um, when you're in the public. You know, the situation here, you know, you, you, can, you can expect um, the public to kind of skirt the law. So you do see people with masks on their chin, um, masks on their necks while like when they're walking in alleys and things like that, when they're not around the police. But the mandate is that there needs to be a mask on your face, covering your mouth and your nose anytime you're in the public. How closely do you follow that, would you say? I, I follow it. Uh, sometimes when I'm inside the house, I wear the mask, you know, when I have someone from outside coming in uh, into my house to maybe help with the garden or help with the house, like whenever I'm interacting with them, I, I, I have the mask on at all times. Oh, wow. Yeah, the only time I don't have a mask on is when I'm around my family or when I'm alone, like right now when I'm in my room. All right, cool. Yeah. So last we got the uh, the American tuning in with us. Um, so clearly things are a little different depending on what state you're in and everything. If you don't mind just giving a brief, you know, what state are you in? What are the, the current laws there? Yes, of course. I am in Ohio. It, it appears to me that the mask mandates that I am dealing with in Ohio seem very similar to my counterpart in the UK and uh, Nepal. Maybe not as extreme uh, as Nepal because it you're outside and not necessarily around someone you do not have to wear a mask but it, it, it seems relatively similar to both you gentlemen 
I, as uh, may have been alluded to by uh, Zach, am not necessarily pro-mask. I wouldn't consider myself anti-mask either. I suppose you could describe my views as pro-choice. So real quick, um, I don't mean to interrupt you. Were you breaking up just a little bit? Not sure if it's the if it's your mic or the or the connection. But do you mind repeating um, what you were just saying about like your stances? Yes, of course. So I I do not consider myself anti-mask per se. I feel it'd be relatively silly to be upset over an inanimate object. Uh, <laughs> however, I I do. Con- consider myself pro-choice to borrow from a previous movement so you we caught most of it um you're still cutting in and out a little bit um so i don't know if there's anything anything on your end that you could try to do to to fix it up a little bit let me try to uh i'll, I'll take off my bluetooth device and i'll try just running it through uh through my phone standby <laughs> okay sure well zach while he fixes on his uh while he fixes his audio what would you say you tend to lie at in regards to the masks so I'm a little conflicted. So I'm kind of similar to to the views that he just described in that I'm absolutely pro-mask in that I think you should be wearing one. I think that it's, at this point, it's been demonstrated both anecdotally and scientifically and empirically that it will benefit people, it will protect people, and it will help stop the spread. Um, So I am pro wearing masks. Absolutely. As far as a mandate goes, especially a nationwide mandate, it's trickier to to pass that. And so I'm not sure how I feel about nationwide mandates. I think that it just gets into some murky water as far as constitutional rights go and as far as uh, individual liberties go. But I don't think that means you shouldn't wear one. Sorry for cutting in. I've uh, I've got a question obviously from the UK perspective. Mm-hmm. What is so you said for instance like constitutional rights or your personal liberties, etc. What do you feel that wearing a mask inhibits you from doing, or what rights does it stop you from having, or what negative effect does it have by wearing one on a personal or a constitutional rights basis, etc. So that that was actually my question as well. Yeah, sure. So I'll give I'll give a brief take, but then I'll I'll turn it over to um to the American tuning in to see if they have any thoughts on it. But as far as constitutional rights, I don't I don't necessarily think it infringes on constitutional rights, but I see how the argument could be made that it infringes on freedom of expression, since technically it could be considered a article of clothing, and clothing has been designated as as expression in the past. And so I could see how that argument could be made and that just makes it a trickier legal battle. Do I personally think that that's the case? Not necessarily. I'm more concerned with the setting of a precedent of a nationwide duty to protect or Good Samaritan law, where now you are on a nationwide level mandated to protect others. And so I think the precedent that sets for other situations where if someone is in danger of something, it is now your responsibility to protect them from that. So I'll, I'll turn it over to, I'm um, not sure if we've got the, the Americans back on, online or not, um, but yeah. I'll see uh, yeah, on. hopefully. Can you, uh, can you hear me better now? Am I breaking up less? Uh, yeah, much better. 100% better. Okay, wonderful. So we'll run like this. Yeah, Zach, I very much actually agree with pretty much everything you just said there. As far as constitutional rights are concerned, the mask itself doesn't specifically inhibit any constitutional right really whatsoever. And you can make the argument that in its inception, the Constitution also spoke over um, man's right to use whatever medicine he sees fit. 
that that's kind of a moot point now in modern society. But nevertheless, that argument could be made. My concern in regards to constitutional rights is once again, the way that these mandates are, are going about legislation. They seem to be skirting the due process of law, and it's just the executive branch saying, do this or else. That's a large concern to me. I, I might be alone in that. You know, everyone's allowed to have their own opinions, but it's it's of concern. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not tyranny or anything like that, but it, it fringes upon such in a way that I'm not comfortable with. I agree. I agree that level of I, I guess many people have always had that issue with the level of power that the executive orders can make. For instance, back, I think it was in 2003 when we went off to Iraq and Iran, that was an immediate order. And that was, that wasn't having due process. There was no uh, democratic convening of that to create that uh, answer or to create that decision. However, do you feel as if that the government, like we're, we're bringing up constitutional rights for a 2020 pandemic. I feel like there's a huge disconnect with what should be still used as our basis for trying to enact change or at least to enact public health in a better light. Because I come from the background in the medical field and I think that if you don't have a mask, you're just as dangerous as a person with corona rather than not with corona. Because then not only can you have it, but you can transfer it. And that's outside of the mask itself. I'm more I'm more on the extreme side of many different countries that say, you know, lockdown, like almost Italy type lockdown until everything gets better. Because regardless if you have the mask or not, it's coming your clothes, it's going to come in contact with you, airborne's going to travel with you. So, but my main question is, do you feel as if that we still should be relying on a constitutional basis for a 2020 problem? Oh, most assuredly. I... I... <laughs> Yeah, the the old adage, and I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter the quote, but you know those who would choose safety over freedom deserve neither. I <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying that it it is a matter of not just national security but international security that we're dealing with. We are dealing with the well-being of the world. But my my counterpoint to you would be the example in Sweden where Sweden has done almost no measures whatsoever throughout the entirety of this pandemic, and we are starting to see herd immunity develop in Sweden. And granted, yes, they're not exceptionally uh, population dense, mm -hmm. and it's a relatively small population to begin with. However, that is something, you know, immunity is developing where it is being allowed to develop. And if you just sort of go the ostrich route of putting your head under the sand about this, I, I'm not sure that immunity will ever develop until, you know, an antibody, you know, which is going to be developed in a lab, is developed and made available to the world market. So I'd, I'd be interesting to get the, the UK perspective on that, since I think, if I'm not mistaken, the UK is kind of somewhere in the middle where early on they were following Sweden's approach um, and then later shifted to more of the lockdown model. Uh, am I correct in that? And if so, like, what, what do you think about the, the Sweden approach? of kind of just controlled avalanche of, of cases. So yeah, that, that's true. We started off with sort of mild measures in place. Um, it was a case of bars and stuff were told to close, but people could still sort of go to work, etc. Then we had a full-scale lockdown um, from the 23rd of March, I believe. Um, and that lasted up until sort of the 15th of July, roughly. But yeah, I mean, there is there's obviously some evidence to suggest that you know, some herd immunity does help. However, that very much relies on like population density, for instance. So here we've had roughly around 340, 350,000 confirmed cases, um, 41,000 dead. 
there are other countries like Germany, for instance, that have a higher population than we do, but also have a far less dense population. Their number of cases and their number of deaths are significantly lower than ours. We basically are in a situation where, yes, herd immunity may help, but it then is at what cost? How many people do you allow to die or almost sacrifice on the basis of saying, well, do you know what? X amount of population will be fine. We'll build up a herd immunity, but we have to account for a certain number of deaths. I'm of the viewpoint that, do you know what, doing your bit, wearing a mask, to protect others as well as protecting yourself is a positive thing. If that means that we wait out for a vaccine or antibodies or effective drug treatment, then so be it. I think we've got an obligation as a, as a race of people to protect your fellow man. I don't think anyone would be happy if a non-mask wearing person that was asymptomatic infected a relative that had underlying health conditions or was of an age where they wouldn't be able to cope with the virus and therefore resulted in their death. I think that's where the line sort of for me is in the situation that you've got, you know, people that don't want to wear a mask, cool, but what's the knock-on effect of that? I don't think wearing a mask for going to the shops or getting on a bus maybe an hour out of your day is necessarily a great hardship to undertake to protect others. I agree. I, I completely, I think to wear a mask in this climate for how obese America is or all the different underlying, underlying health issues that America as a whole has, I think it's the most American thing to do to wear your mask. And, and I guess that's my American bias, but it's the most global thing to do to is to wear a mask. Now, from the perspective of Nepal, how do you feel about what's being said so far? Okay, so um, first thing, just going back to um, when we were talking about Sweden, so just a number I would like to uh, mention is, you know, as of the end of July, 5,500 people died uh, because of COVID just in Sweden. And they have only 10 million people in that country. To me, Sweden, whatever they did, it was not working. No matter what, 5,500 people died. And that, that just last month, I don't know what happened um, in August, right? Just, just by July, uh, the, like these many people died and whatever they're doing, clearly it's not really working very much because to use Nepal as an example, you know, yeah, we um, find like COVID has finally hit Nepal as like COVID, COVID is finally growing in Nepal now. Like this is, this is our peak. It's happening right now. And we're getting around five to 600 cases per day. And that's considered very high. And a lot of the municipalities, a lot of the provinces, you know, they're, they're closing down. They're, they're completely in lockdown because nationally, 500 cases, 600 cases is considered very much. Uh, and again, one thing, one thing to keep in mind is Nepal is a very underdeveloped country. We do not have the resources that, you know, the UK or the US has. We cannot build hospitals overnight or import a lot of uh, ventilators uh, and things like that. Nepal, the only, the only solution for Nepal is to lock down, is to completely shut the country down and to just wait and hope for the virus to kind of mellow itself. That's, that's what we're hoping will happen here. And, you know, Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal, at the moment, we, we, we had a strict lockdown for four months, you know, from March all the way till July. And in July, late July, we opened up again. And then that's when the infection started spreading. And right now, the government realized 
if there's a strict lockdown, we can, the government, the private sector, everybody else, no, nobody can really make any money. Everybody's going bankrupt. So a strict lockdown is also not completely economically possible, even though that is what needs to be done. Right. So right now we're trying to figure out ways to find a balance. That, that, that is a struggle in a, let, let's call it least developed nation. Mm-hmm. Um, but just coming back to uh, real quick, uh, what uh, the gentleman from the U.S. or Zach, I think you had also also mentioned, um, it's not constitutional to mandate masks, right? Um, the way I see it as a person who has lived in the U.S. in the past, the way I see it is the Constitution was not really written with a freak disaster like a pandemic in mind, right? Like they, they, the people who wrote the constitution, they weren't really thinking, okay, you know what? There might be exceptions if what, however many hundred thousands, millions of people die in three months because of a global pandemic that nobody can really control. So there, well, what I personally think is that there needs to be exceptions to the constitution or to constitutional beliefs and like whatever Americans believe believe right now, whoever like whoever has that belief that, you know, the constitution lets me have the choice to wear a mask or not. What they need to realize is the constitution did not take into account the fact that a disaster such as this could have happened at any time. Yeah. Right. Right now, you cannot lean on the Constitution to protect your rights. Right. Right now, you yeah. need to use your common sense to realize that, you know what, the, the, the best thing you can do is wear a mask, wear gloves. And that is how you curb the spread of the virus. Forget yeah. about the Constitution for a second. Like the Constitution tells you nothing about wearing a mask. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you see that precedent with other rights, too. You know, you're not allowed to yell fire in a theater. You're not allowed to do these different things that technically go against freedom of speech or go against other freedoms that we have. And so I don't, that's why I tried to qualify the statement earlier in that personally, I don't think that it actually infringes on freedom of expression. I just see how it could lead to a tricky legal battle and could slow things down and make a lot of people angry. In America, we kind of can visually see the feedback in regard, or at least the opposition to wearing the mask. We see the anti-mask walks, protests, anti-mask protests with, you know, John Hannity. (laughs) I wanted to know from outside of the American borders, what would you guys say that you would see in regards to opposition? Is there like a crazy force that's like against masks or are there like extremist people say there's no need for masks? So uh, real quick, let me, let me, let me just ask, um, answer your question with a question. Why do the American people feel the need at this moment when there's a global pandemic to oppose masks? Yeah, I understand that, you know, it might infringe on some con- constitutional rights, right? But there is a global pandemic happening right now. People are dying every, every day. In your country alone, there are more than 200,000 people who have already died because of the pandemic. That's more than World War II. Why are American people, in your opinion, opposing masks? I think that from my minority perspective, there's always been a natural push to go against the government from my history books to yesterday. Regardless of what the mandate is, I think the way that the country as a whole has been handling it has allowed everyone to develop a level of skepticism that wouldn't have been uh, justified if we didn't, if the if the government didn't take the right the, the right measures initially. So all the different issues in regards to the mass being necessary, then Fauci, uh, our particular uh, guy when it comes to health and defense, 
regards to this uh, pandemic. Uh, he made different decisions that may have impeded upon the well-beings of Americans and Americans got that information just as everybody else did. And like, oh, so, you know, we're not sure if this is true. We're, we're sure this is true. A lot of people, at least on my end, a lot of people said, how, how can you stay in mask all day? I can get nitrous oxide poisoning or uh, no car- carbon dioxide poisoning and, you know, I get fatigue and I can't do this. And I'm like, I work in a hospital with surgeons every day for eight hours. Just, we, we're nothing's happening to us. So I think another part of it, and it reminded me of my point that I wanted to bring up, is that I think a lot of people are angry at the shifting goalposts. And what I mean by that is originally when we were told that we need to lock down, when we were told that we need to wear masks and do what we can to stop the spread, the end point to that, at least the one that was put out to the public, was that we were attempting to flatten the curve so that hospital systems did not get overrun. Right. That was what was the reason behind wearing masks and staying home and locking down and such now we have successfully done that. Even in the worst instances, even in New York, Texas, uh, California, all these places, they got devastated. They got hit very hard. But even if they got close, the hospital systems didn't technically get overrun. And so I think a lot of people now are angry that that's been pushed to a, a different endpoint now. Now the endpoint has been shifted to, I, I, don't, I don't really know what it is now, you know, people are saying that maybe we need to stay locked down until there's a vaccine or until the numbers go down lower, et cetera. And so I kind of wanted to get your perspectives on that. Um, first, I guess, to the other Americans and th- see if you also see that and, and see that as part of the reason behind the pushback, but then also what, what your thoughts are generally on it. So I, I think both you and Brandon uh, made some points that I would agree with there that a lot of the pushback that we're seeing in America comes from resentment towards what either is or could be viewed as inept leadership. And it's systemic. It's, it's no one leader. You know, it would be very easy to be like, well, we've got an idiot as a president, for sure. But, you know, it, it works its whole way down. You know, from Fauci to in Ohio, we had Dr. Amy Acton and, you know, Governor DeWine. And in Cleveland, we have the lovely Mayor Frank Jackson. So why would I want to listen to people that don't seem to know what they are telling me to do? You know, it's, it's sort of like taking medical advice from a homeless guy on the street. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm supposed to follow a law that you make accordingly. Um, it, it's a very frustrating thing. And so once again, I'm not anti-mask in the regards that I'm refusing to wear a mask. I have a whole cadre of various masks so I can accessorize with whatever I'm wearing, you know, first world problem. (laughs) However, I I just, it's really hard to listen to someone that doesn't even know what they're talking about in their pre-written speech. Why do you feel the need to listen to somebody else, right? Like, why do you feel the need to um, think, you know, okay, like, what are, like, what is the governor telling me? What is the mayor telling me? What is the president telling me? You know what is happening around the world right now. There is a global pandemic and the best and easiest way to curb the spread of that pandemic is to wear masks, right? So why does the mayor, the governor, the president, the UN, the World Bank, anybody else, why do they need to tell you anything in order for you or anybody else to, you know, take action or kind of debate what they're telling you about, right? Like, 
what, what needs to be done right now is people need to wear masks. That is common sense. It's proven by fact. There has been too much research on it. And, you know, the, the research wasn't even needed, but there has been research on it. And the fact is that wearing masks curb the spread of the pandemic. So yes. I'm just curious as to understand why you need somebody uh, like a higher authority to tell you what to do. Well, I think I agree. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I, I, I don't think that we're in contention at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Why do I need someone to tell me that? You know, if the exactly. science is readily available to me and exactly. I'm already willing to comply, why yeah. are we going to pass a law that says I have to comply or otherwise monetary restrictions will be put on me or possibly even jail? I mean, why, mm-hmm. why do I need that? You're, you're yeah. absolutely correct. So you personally agree that we need to wear masks and that you don't need a higher authority to tell you, right? So, but what, what, what we've been seeing in the U.S. overall, uh, and I'm just taking the U.S. as an example here, is a lot of people are refusing to wear masks. For example, you know, um, in Florida, I think it, it may have been a park ranger or some sort of authority figure in the U.S. They just declared that if somebody wears a mask, they are not allowed to participate or, or to enter a certain area, right? So basically, it's, it's the opposite of a mask mandate, right? It's an anti-mask mandate. So what, what they have said is, if you are a mask, you are not allowed to participate in this activity or to enter this area. It has become that extreme, whereas we know, and like like you said, you are completely aware that masks are necessary and you don't need a higher authority to tell you. What I'm wondering is why are many Americans, why, why are they so anti-mask? Like it shouldn't be a constitutional issue. It's, it's a common sense thing. If you wear a mask, you're saving lives. You're saving your own life. You're saving other people's lives. So what, what is the problem? That is what I'm trying. Like that is what I can't get my head around. What is the problem? So, so sorry to butt in, but to, to follow up on that, from the UK perspective, you know, like we've said, for instance, about shifting goalposts, etc. I think that's definitely a case of, you know, the more we understand the virus, the more we understand how it spreads, the more we understand the cause and effect of catching it, etc. Um, you know, the, the advice then changes based on that. You know, for instance, here, we have definitely a group of people that are very anti-mask. I have a relative of mine that is so against wearing masks, won't go out, doesn't want to participate, thinks that, you know, they're detracting from their human rights or whatever else. But at the same time, it's like, surely the human rights of people that could potentially die are more important than your, your right to not wear a mask. And as for, like, it being mandated or, you know, being able to make that choice on your own, I think government of any country or any colour or any political, like, you know, left or right, whatever, has a responsibility to give advice and tell people what to do to those that either, I don't want to say that they can't think for themselves, but, you know, they sort of go along in their own little bubble and, oh, I'm going to be fine. Well, actually, do you know what? There are times where you can't do that and you need to be given some advice because people, the internet, unfortunately, is awash with false information or half-truths, you know, as we touched on earlier about carbon dioxide poisoning or carbon monoxide poisoning, whatever, like from wearing a mask. There's no, this is almost hearsay. And so people pick up on that and run with it. If you haven't got somebody at the top saying, well, hold on a minute, 
this information that you've got here is false. These are the reasons why, and this is what you should be doing. You can't leave it up to the general public to make a group decision because people just won't agree. They don't want to be told what to do by their fellow man. They don't want to be told what to do by those in power. And so those are the people that are almost more dangerous than someone who's got the virus because if you've got it you're going to be in hospital you're going to self-isolate if you don't know you've got it and you're asymptomatic and you're walking around without a mask on and your friends or family are also doing the same thing or you're walking into a supermarket who who are you affecting from that how many degrees of separation before somebody dies because you decided you didn't want to wear a mask that that's that's my point Definitely. And jumping in with the, so I, I'm a neuroscience PhD student, right? So jumping in from the scientific perspective, I think that scientists, and I've said this for a long time, scientists are awful at communicating science. Scientists are awful at explaining their findings, at explaining results. And I think that part of the shifting goalposts, I agree entirely with what you were saying about the shifting goalposts, that a lot of the changed uh, recommendations, the changed advisory on masks, on social distancing, on whatever it is, has changed because we've gotten new evidence. I will say that because scientists are so bad at communicating that, that's been adding to the issue of people not believing them. It's very easy to make the jump to these experts don't know what they're talking about when you're extremely flippant on recommendations on masks and recommendations on on different things that could help stop the spread. Now, as a scientist, I understand that that's because of emerging evidence, that's because of changing models, that's because of all kinds of different things. I think that that leads to exacerbation of these problems and stuff like Fauci came out recently, not recently now, I guess it was a, a week or two ago, and said that the earlier mask mandates were, or rather the earlier mask recommendations of not recommending them were because of limited supply and so that the, the medical staff could have them. But I, I don't think they did a good job of communicating that earlier. And because of that, now it turns, now it looks like he was consciously lying to people about the mask use. Now, is that the case? No, he was just poorly communicating it. But it's, it seems when you don't communicate early on that this is why we don't suggest you wear a mask and you just suggest don't wear a mask, mm-hmm. it, it comes across as incompetence. It comes across as lying or deceitful. And so, again, personally, I don't feel that way about it because I understand more of the scientific side of it. But I, I can empathize with it. I can empathize with the distrust of the experts and the distrust of the scientists because of how flippant everything has been and because of how limited everyone's knowledge of the scientific process is. We had that in the UK. Mask wearing was not a mandatory requirement during lockdown. It wasn't until possibly June that it became mandatory on public transport. And then as we reopened the economy and shops were allowed to reopen, mask mandate was brought in for those types of places. And you get a lot of people that are anti-mask here that will say, well, why were we not told to wear a mask back in March or April or May? And, you know, there's, there's two arguments to this. One, you can say, well, actually, do you know what the supply? Our National Health Service needed as much PPE as possible, including masks, etc. So obviously, part of the argument is we need to make sure that our medical professionals are able to be protected. And the other part is we were in lockdown. Your places to go or what you should or shouldn't be doing was very limited. So I spent 15, I live on my own, I spent almost 15 weeks pretty much indoors. 
I went to the supermarket occasionally. That was the extent of my going out. Was I out meeting other people? Was I in enclosed public spaces? Was I using a lot of public transport? No. So therefore, if that's the case throughout our country, there wasn't a need per se for everyone to be wearing a mask because the number of people out and about was minimal. You know, our public transport fell off a shelf. As lockdown came in, the use of like trains, buses, etc., even cars on the road dropped off a cliff edge. Like there was so few people out and about that mask wearing wasn't really required based on the limited contact you'd have with people. Whereas now we've opened our economy up again um, and we're, we're getting back to a point of normality. You are coming into contact with lots more people. Therefore, wearing a mask is now a requirement. It doesn't take a lot of common sense to see how those two parts contributed to our situation and our mandate on masks. Yeah, definitely. And so it's interesting hearing that the same thing is going on in other countries, right? Because it's clearly it's more, I don't know, it's more of an issue, more of a divide in America. But it's not really talked about that there is an anti-mask or an anti-lockdown movement in these other countries, at least not talked about that much. Not, not, Not spoken about that much here. So what would you say would be like the best solution in your, besides just wearing a mask, at least for Americans, what would you say to, at least I want the Americans perspective, uh, at least of the, not anti-masker, but the pro-choice of the mask. What would you say is the best course of action that we should take in regards to a pro-choice type of society? Like if we were to take pro-choice, how much, what's your uh, margin of error? Like how many lives would you, that would you would risk? in order to have like herd immunity or to have this virus abolished. Well, thank you for using my adjective of choice. Uh, <laughs> I um, What I would feel to be the most effective way outside of wearing a mask, once again, I wear a mask, would be social distancing. I am all about that. Keep six feet away from me even after this pandemic is solved. <laughs> That's perfectly fine in my opinion. Wash your hands. I don't know why we have to reiterate this to people. We, we have to reiterate to grown adults in America the proper procedure for washing your hands. That should not be an issue. And I'd like to go back to a, a point of I, I can't talk about what's going on in Florida. I don't live in Florida. I'm not a Florida citizen. I don't even really like Florida that much. So, I mean, we, we can't talk about what the people who are not us are doing in our countries. Because that's, that's outside of our control. And I think it would be tyrannical to try to control those people. That's just my view. Going back to your question directly to me about, you know, what would I do and what do I feel is an acceptable sacrifice? I'll phrase it that way. I don't want people to just be dying by the hundreds of millions, you know, at, but that's effectively what's going on now with our active mandates. Well, so, active mandates, what, but in, in, but not practiced by citizens. The mandate may be stated, but not everybody's following it, and that's what you know stirs this question. The, well, no certainly, but I mean that's free will, isn't it? That is what got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden in a biblical story. Mm-hmm. Is you know freedom of choice, regardless of laws. You you can make all the laws until you're blue in the face. People are going to do what they want to do. Most especially in America, we are probably the most belligerent country <laughs> yeah. in the entirety of the world. You know, you, you can't legislate that. So my point would be stop trying. Stop trying to legislate that. And that's where I'm at with that. You know, people are going to do what they want to do regardless. So let's just sort of hope for the best and, you know, start working on plan B. 
And not only that, but the, the enforcement, because of the, the level of enforcement is important when you're setting a policy, when you're setting a law. I live in Michigan. We have mandates to wear masks anytime you're in public and all shops and things like that have to have masks, things like that. It's absolutely not followed. Uh, half the people I see out walking around don't have masks. It, most of the people in enclosed public spaces, right, like Kroger, there are very few people that won't have a mask on, but you'll still see one or two. But the thing is, it's not enforced. And so I think when you're setting a law, when you're setting a mandate, if you don't have the capacity to enforce it, then it's very hard to justify setting it in the first place. And so when you're talking about America specifically, you know that much of the population is going to push back on it. You're, you know that much of the population is going to argue against it and say that it, you know, whatever, whatever their argument is. And if you want to then put more resources into enforcement, then fine, then go ahead and, and set the mandates and, and enforce them more strictly. But once you start not enforcing it, then people lose, then you lose credibility, right? And that's only going to lead to spiraling of less people following the mandates and less people going along with it. Whether or not that makes the mandate morally correct or incorrect, you know, that's a separate matter, but it makes it a lot harder to continue enforcing if you, if you aren't doing a good job of, of doing that in the first place. I agree. Well, one, one question I had uh, for the representation of Nepal. From, from my medical perspective and your perspective from looking at the United States, I think we share uh, interesting frustration. When you hear the American side talk about the legislation necessary and the politics that needs to go in, and at least at this point, how interwoven politics is within this medical global pandemic discussion, what does that make you think as a whole? Like what's, your, what's your perspective hearing all of this? Okay, so first thing is, I think that Fauci you guys needed to listen to that to that dude from day one like he knows what he's talking about and yeah i do like fauci yeah no no he knows he knows what the deal is and he knows what you guys got to do and he's been saying it from day one right but you got the politics like the, the us has the politics um, mixed into it right so you've got public health on one side and then you've got the politics on the other side and like people are putting public health into the politics. What, what needs to happen is Fauci needs to stand out or anybody else, any other public health spokesperson needs to stand out and make some sort of cry of help or cry of like that there needs to be a plea to the American people to, you know, to do something as simple as wear masks every time you step outside your home. How do you feel about the group of doctors that are coming up on the other side with the hydroxychloroquine argument? Because they're doing just that, right? But they're coming at it from a very different and admittedly potentially more harmful side of things um, where you've got a group of doctors who in the public's eyes for all intents and purposes are credible, qualified experts coming out and saying things like hydroxychloroquine is a cure, hydroxychloroquine works against the, the disease and it, it works as a treatment, as preventative measures, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that what you're asking for is for the, the people like Fauci, the people like Amy Acton and these other doctors to do just that, but with the things like mask mandates, things like hand washing and social distancing, 
do you think the fact that one side is doing it and spreading things of of the nature that they're spreading is, I don't know, I guess dangerous is one thing, but do you think that that's part of the problem is that only that side is willing to do that and they're able to rally support because of it? Okay, so first thing, Zach, you know, having a background in science, do you think hydroxychloroquine is actually making any difference? Is it, is it actually beneficial? I'm asking because I, I am not completely um, educated on that matter. No. So on a large scale, well, and I'll let Brandon chime in too, but on a large scale, no. I think that there's been plenty of studies that have shown that it's not effective in treating. That said, that doesn't mean that anecdotally with a couple people, it may help. I mean, it's still, people still have very different reactions to things. And so it, just because it doesn't work on a grand scale doesn't mean it wouldn't work for one or two people. But that also doesn't mean that we should roll it out in in large numbers and do it as a treatment for everyone because the, the studies have overwhelmingly shown that in placebo controlled trials that it's not, it's not any more effective. Uh, but you can go ahead, Brandon, jump in. I would say from, from the hospital perspective, I also come from the, the background, uh, neuroscience background, mm-hmm. Zach, and I'm currently a neurophysiologist. So what we see on a day-to-day basis is almost echoing what we see uh, in the news. Hydrochloroquine is kind of like the last resort and it's been successful as a last resort. I'll say that. Granted, anecdotally, you'll have it correct, but generally, it's not, you know, it's not, you can't label it as the answer or the cure. That's not, that's not uh, irresponsible. Right. I believe today, actually, news came out that said there's a vaccine out that, that everybody will be able to get for free. I think a lot of people had a lot of pushback uh, against that. I'm going to see if I can pull up the exact article. While you're looking for that, I just want to echo what you're saying about saying that it's a cure or a treatment, just because with something this complex and this novel, it's tough to say that any one thing is going to be a, a magic silver bullet. But And I think that's what makes what their, their rhetoric dangerous, is that that is how they're advertising it, is that they're advertising it as this is a cure. Uh, the, the, the doctors that are were standing on Capitol Hill and were advocating for hydroxychloroquine um, as as kind of a cure-all of, of sorts. I think that, you know, like any other medication, sure, it should be up to the doctor's discretion, you know, the, their discretion for how to treat their patients. And if it is working for a person, yeah, sure. And it's not hurting them, okay, then the doctor is doing whatever they see fit. But to ascribe that it's suitable to give to everyone large scale, it's, it's dangerous. I, th- I found the little piece. It said, uh, in, by 2021, by January, it should be a vaccine ready for a, a global effort to end the coronavirus. We'll see, we'll see what happens with that. I think that's what a lot of people have been waiting for. But the question is then, if they were to force people to take this vaccine, <laughs> how many Americans would take it? And, you know, would we, will we be faced with another issue? I think it's also important to note that 40-50% of the population, maybe even 60, at least in America, has are, is saying that they wouldn't take a COVID vaccine, at least not right away, just because they're not sure how it works. So I don't necessarily think a vaccine is going to be the, the be-all, end-all either, because you won't have mass use of it. 
Uh, well, I think you both, uh, both Brandon and Zach, both of you touched on something pretty important that a lot of what we're dealing with in the United States specifically is a division in regards to politics. So we see a lot of contrarianism uh, with in-group, out-group mentalities to where, you know, people are doing something specifically because someone opposite them told them not to. Right. So it, it's almost like uh, a little sibling sort of being like, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. It's aggravating for the sake of aggravating, and I feel that that's a lot of what we're seeing with all this, is a lot of people just doing something for the sake of upsetting the person across from Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's, it's tough to break away from that. The American population especially, that's, that's very much ingrained in how America works. It's just this pushback against authority, pushback against what the majority or the experts are saying. And it's kind of just, I mean, that's how the, the country was founded on rebellion. And so... Yeah, but we can't take a so, so, chance to something like this. this is a oh, pants. for sure. Yeah. yeah. This but, is where okay, this... So what, what I'm curious about is, um, and this is addressed to all the Americans here, is how do you value your freedom of expression or, you know, or whatever you're calling it to not wear a mask as opposed to a factual global pandemic happening right now, killing thousands of people per day? Um, like what, like what, what measure or what ratio do you use, use to, you know, kind of gauge your priority for freedom of expression as opposed to your priority of just wearing a mask, just shutting up, wearing a mask and just going about your day and just wearing gloves and just being careful. Like what is the, what is the measure of prioritization here? I am genuinely curious about this. Like why, why are American people prioritizing your freedom of expression as opposed to just wearing a damn mask to protect yourself and everybody else around you? I, I would say as a follow-up to that, and it's really short, why is someone's right to expression more important than someone else's right to life? I think there you, you know, need to yeah. be, make the distinction too between the two different groups of, of people. So you've got the people who are against the mandate and the people who actually are against wearing masks. Because obviously, you know, I wear a mask, um, the other person in the chat wears a mask. With our perception, it's that we, we, should, we absolutely should wear a mask. We absolutely should protect the other people. From these other groups of people that are actually going out and not wearing the masks, the people that you're describing, I think you have to factor in also the, the distrust of the information that they're given. And so it's not necessarily a way off in that situation between the right to life and the, and the right to expression. It's sacrificing right to expression without protecting the right to life. You know, there, a lot of them are actually of the belief that the mask isn't protective and that they are then just doing what the government is telling them or what the experts are telling them. L imagine a different scenario where the government were to make a different mandate that you were forced to wear long sleeves in order to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, right? It, your, less of your skin is exposed and so less, less ability for the virus to shed, etc. That, I think most of us can agree that that would be a fairly ridiculous mandate and it probably wouldn't actually, it probably wouldn't actually help to, to prevent it, right? And so I no. think that's the perception of these other people with masks. It's not true. It's not the reality. But I think that perception is that right now we are in a, they're setting mandates that won't actually help. And it's just setting a precedent that we will then have to listen to them in other scenarios. Now, it's misguided. 
it's not necessarily the case and masks are proven to help. But when you're operating under that perception, it's tough to actually listen to the to the mandate for the sake of other people's right to life, because you don't think that the other person's right to life is actually a factor in the, in the equation. Before we go on, I wanted to take a second to tell you about my Filter Queen Defender air purifier. Nowadays, in our new normal, air quality is of utmost importance. That's why I have my Defender running right in my bedroom. The Defender is recognized by the FDA as a Class II medical device and is built in the USA with pride. The new normal has been Filter Queen's way of life since 1928. To get your own Defender, or for more information, go to www.filterqueen.com, or email them at hello at filterqueen.com. Be sure to mention our podcast in the email so they know that we sent you. That's H-E-L-L-O at filterqueen.com to get your very own Defender. Email hello at filterqueen.com. Were you going to address the fact that it was said that it would seem ridiculous that the long sleeves would be something that would prevent a virus? Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just going to say that, you know, if there was a virus where, like, if you wore long sleeves and that prevented you from getting the virus... We would have to do that. Like, yeah, like it would be stupid not to do that, which is the same thing as right now. Like you wear a mask, it's going to cut down the possibility of you contracting the virus, right? But I I, I, I kind of um, interrupted Zach before he made his point. So like he cleared that up. So yeah, so I think that it's just a, it's a miss, you know, you can't expect everyone to follow the, the data. You can't expect everyone to follow the evidence and follow the findings on masks. It's a part of the American pushback that has a negative effect, and especially in something like this in a global pandemic. I don't know what the compromise is, because I think that if you weren't to have those people, then a lot of that American pushback on other issues wouldn't exist or wouldn't be nearly as strong. But I recognize that it's definitely, it does more harm than good in a situation like this. I mean, in the UK, for instance, we do have, there is some politics, I think, involved, probably not as strong as there is in the States. But, you know, you have people that look at our current government and say, oh, they didn't act quick enough, or their advice is changing, and they don't know what they're talking about. But I think there needs to come a point where politics needs to separate itself out of public health. We live in a world where we have a growing population, we, where there are people that are going to get ill, and whether it's through COVID or whether it's through other um, illnesses, etc. You know, we've got to do our bit to protect people as much as possible. So here in the UK, the, the big reason for lockdown was to protect our national health service. If you've got hospitals overrun with people, how do those that need other treatments, cancer or anything else, get seen or get the medical attention that they deserve um, if your hospitals are full with patients of COVID-19? And at the end of the day, herd immunity is great, but you're going to have the same problem. You either leave people to die at home or you allow them to go into hospital and receive some treatment knowing that potentially they're going to die anyway and at what cost does that then affect other people that need hospital for kidney issues or heart defects or whatever else that they then can't be seen because your hospitals are full yeah definitely 
It hits home with a lot of people when, so we talked briefly about personal responsibility and the different valuing of that. And I think when, when someone is coming at it from a different, I guess, approach and, and is not wearing a mask for, for any of the reasons that we described before, I think the large majority of those cases are people who are, like, like I said, who genuinely do believe that they're being responsible and that they're not, by not wearing a mask, doing something that will harm other people. I don't think anyone, I, I, well, not, I don't want to say anyone, but I think fewer of the people are not wearing masks fully conscious of the fact that they are going to lead to people dying. And so I think it's more a a miseducation issue. And it comes back to the point of trusting in experts. And while I'll agree that there's a certain level of pushback that needs to happen against experts in some areas, right? No one's an expert on everything. No one knows everything, not even the scientists, not even the public health experts, but they are experts for a reason. And I think that I don't know how to fix that American anti-elite, anti-expert attitude. I don't know if you really can. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. I don't think it stems from, you know, we talked about the weighing. Sorry, let me, let me, let me interrupt you. What do you mean by the anti-expert attitude? Like what? Like like they don't, don't tread on me. Don't tell me what to do. And I think that even if you're an expert, I don't, I think that there's this attitude of, I know what's best for me and Mm -hmm. you can't tell me otherwise. And so, so are you are you saying the the uh, um, people in the U.S. don't really listen to the media? They base it off of their own um, research and their own judgment. I would say that depends. So I remember at one point in time, Bill Nye was on Fox News and a lot of people thought this guy was a wackadoodle. This guy's a scientist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy's he's, this, this, this is his job. Like when Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. comes out and says something, uh, for some reason, there's a strong right opposition to it when Fauci comes out and says something it's across the board the opposition so I think that's mm-hmm. the almost the expert level pushback that we see in America so why do you think that exists uh, against scientists I don't know I think it's I think it comes to uh I don't say American arrogance I see it in the hospital too I've had people uh I'll be doing my job and then I've had patients mm-hmm. question me and question my degree and question if I'm doing the right thing for myself and I'm like I'm, I'm working on you today what do you Trying to, I don't know what he like. I, yeah. I, I'm here and you're there. That means certain things have worked out within society that allow this to happen. And there, I think there's just natural uh, inquisitiveness that comes off uh, at the wrong times. But I felt as if it's necessary to also address another thing that we haven't touched upon is that because COVID has been the cloud of 2020 taking down uh, a lot of people's freedoms. A lot of people are almost tired of like listening, like kind of like a disruptive kid. Like America, you could say is like a disruptive kid of the class. You just get up and walk around and just do random stuff. There's people who still have unsolicited parties, 500,000 people, restaurants, you could go online mm-hmm. and see restaurants saying, we will not wear masks. We will not uh, deter, we want our business. And I feel like it's a little cross between people getting frustrated, uh, at least in America, people getting frustrated wearing masks, people who want their businesses to still thrive. So I believe uh, the percentage right now, 60% of black businesses have gone away uh, because of COVID. A lot of people want their businesses back across the board. People want the economy back, but they don't want to wear masks because that impedes upon their business. There's such a unique intermingling. And then we have to, we have to include politics because it's America. So it's so many different dynamics 
I would just say people are just, they're just tired of it. They're like, forget it. If, if the risk is that, I'll go to this party for the night. Foolish. Like, look at Florida. People f- fly to Florida, have a good time, come back sick. And then not necessarily pass away directly, but it's a gamble. And on the, on the point really quick on, on including politics, I think that science and academia have also increasingly become politicized too. And so there's an increasing distrust in their motives and how political those motives are, right? You saw it a lot with climate change where it has become a political issue and less a scientific issue. And you see it with vaccines have become politicized in a lot of cases. And that's now a political issue and not necessarily just a scientific issue. Uh, You see it now with masks and with the experts' opinions on coronavirus and just academia in general and science in general, they often with their contributions to policy, I guess I'll say, at least with academia broadly, will lean left on certain issues, right? Their academia will put in place affirmative action type programs and more equality of outcome type approaches to, to solutions of inequality. And so because of that, it's increasingly become politicized to the point where now it's not so much doubting science, it's doubting the motives of the scientists and whether or not those are politicized. That's not my personal beliefs. It's just what I'm seeing now as a conservative in academia, in science. Like that's where I see some of the distrust coming from is that it's not necessarily that you're anti-science, but that you don't think that it's purely scientific, that you think that there's political motives in play too. Uh, sorry, I think the the other American had something that they were they were bringing up to and accidentally cut him off a little. Oh no, you're perfectly fine. Um, I, I agree with that, and I, I see the exact same trends that you were just discussing. Another motivational factor that I feel is is very pivotal in uh, how people are acting in the United States specifically is fear. I feel that a lot of people are afraid, no matter how tough they're coming off. Oh, this virus is fake. Whatever. I think those people are still afraid in the, in their heart of hearts. And so this is how they've chosen to act out is, is they're acting out in a fearful manner. Uh, so they're causing a scene, you know, they're, they're berating the waitress who tells them they have to put a mask on, you know, they're, they're acting out and they're, they're making a fool of themselves at the root cause because they're afraid, you know, they're afraid. What, what if this is real? You know, what if my mother, my, who is elderly and high risk, what if she gets infected and has to be hospitalized? So I think the the counter to that is them, you know, overselling the fakeness of this, you know, is them, you know, taking a contrarian standpoint because they are concerned and they don't know what to do, you know, because at the end of the day, even the the greatest online expert is just an online expert unless they're fully accredited. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what we're seeing a lot of is fear-based action in the United States. So, uh, I, I just wanted to ask you a question based on what you just said um, to the American uh, gentleman. So you just said people might be thinking, you know, what if this is real? There has been too much empirical data, too much fact um, that shows that, you know, this is a real threat. It is happening today. It is happening right now. And it has spread all over the world. And there's there's no stop to it, right? So there is overwhelming proof for that. And I'm, I'm not saying you believe this, but I just want to get an understanding of why that denial might exist in some Americans. Because for example, taking my country, you know, in Nepal, 
right? We're, we're, we're a small country. We're a very underdeveloped country, but everybody here is aware of the threat of COVID and everybody is aware of what, um, what, what the subsequent lockdowns or restrictions that might happen will cause to their families, to themselves, economically, socially, etc. you know, whatever. So everybody's aware of the situation. Everybody knows what is happening. And this is a third world country. So, so what I'm trying to understand is why are Americans, some Americans, why are they still in that denial phase? I think I can so, touch on yeah. that part for just sure. for a second. Um, I also have a point I'd like to make on Within the United States and its history with its relationship with medicine, uh, there's these different minority groups within America that has uh, different minority groups in America have been almost the guinea pig when it comes to medical or different vaccinations or different type of medical scientific procedures or practices. And there's a level of denial into the legitness of this disease. I remember when this originally came out, Black people were like, oh, Black people don't get this. And the reason why is because other pandemics have happened and that doesn't affect us or doesn't change us. It doesn't change our legislation. So it's like, it's not a big deal. It took months until we were like, Oh, I think it was until a, a basketball player uh, got it. And they're like, Oh man, we got to take it seriously now. If he can get it. Then that'd be right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, Oh man, he what went to the barbecue. Okay. He can get it. Right. <laughs> so now that's that would, that's why I guess that's why we're seeing that I guess that opposition. So that's sorry, that's that's quite interesting because here we've had studies that have shown that actually um, black and ethnic minorities are at a greater risk of getting it. Of course, um, we know that adverse too. Adverse reactions. And mm-hmm. I'll have on, to say on, on my end, as a black person, when I first heard about the COVID, that I took it seriously from day one. I never once thought, oh, I couldn't get this. I never once thought oh, I'm not a human as much as everyone else, and I'm not susceptible to any other viruses or diseases as anyone else is. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the other point is how much proof or data or real-world like people dying do some people need to understand that actually this is something that is happening? I mean, you've only got to look around. I know people that have either themselves had it or they've, been, or they've had family members or friends that have been in hospital I unfortunately know a couple of people that have passed away because of it. And it's almost like, oh, well, I haven't I haven't had any direct relationship with this virus. Therefore, I don't have any problem. But you've got to draw the line somewhere and say, well, actually, do you know what? Yeah, you've been lucky. You haven't. But how much evidence do you need to then say, well, actually, it can affect other people? One reason why Americans are in denial about this is because of the president and his lack of leadership. From day one, he kept saying, oh, this is no big deal. We only have one person. It's going to be over and pretty soon. Now we have over 200,000 deaths or close to 200,000 deaths in our country because of the lack of leadership and his lack to his lack of accepting the science. This isn't, I don't think this is anything has to do with um, people of different races not believing it because at the same, at, when it comes down to it, it's all about the person at the, at the bully pulpit touting out the, um, touting out these policies, touting out what's going on, and, you know, letting, keeping Americans informed. And he's not doing a very good job of keeping, keeping Americans truly informed. My, my follow-up to that would be what makes this empirical evidence more more important than any other empirical evidence. You know, we have dietary data 
that says if you lower your intake of red meat and eat more vegetables, you're going to lower your your cholesterol and you're going to you're going to have better blood pressure. Uh, you can lose weight if you adhere to a ketogenic diet, a very strict ketogenic diet. But people still don't do it. Uh, America has a huge obesity problem, but we we can't follow the, this very real data. So I, I I don't think that this is anything new. I think it's just another thing that people have chosen not to listen to. How can you say that compared to our our recent Ebola outbreak, what three years ago, and then the nineteen eighteen influenza? They followed the science. They listened. And and the other part of that is something like obesity is very much a personal. You can't spread obesity obesity isn't something that you can give to somebody else by all means you can give them food but it's a personal choice to whether you put the fork in your mouth you know a virus that you can pass on almost unknowingly if you're asymptomatic that's a completely different set of circumstances compared to personal choices to how much food you shovel down your throat and I think so on the point of the other outbreaks, I think so 1918, I would push back. I think that you saw a lot of the same things. You know, you see a lot of images of people protesting back then against um, against the science, I guess, more broadly speaking. Um, you saw a huge second wave of the 1918 flu because we thought it was over and then everyone went about their business and then it spiked up massively. And as far as Ebola goes, you're right in the sense that Obama did take very different action as in comparison to Trump. But it also was very different, uh, not nearly as contagious as COVID and was a, a different a different situation. So I mean, there are parallels to draw. And I think that it's important to point out the differences in handling of the administration. And I think that absolutely Trump had a, had a role to play. But I think that even in situations like that, even in the 1918 flu and, and other cases, uh, you saw similar reactions from, from the American public. Um, Zach, so you, you just said there are parallel, parallels to draw from Ebola and um, COVID. But what, what, what parallels are there to draw? I mean, the, in just in the more broad sense that they are both infectious diseases that started outside of the U.S. and that necessitated some level of government intervention. Um, sure, but, but, but there is no comparison. There is absolutely no comparison between Ebola, which killed, what, maybe one or two? Two people. Two Americans? Yeah. Compared to COVID, which is killing, what, how many people per day in the U.S. alone? 1,300. Right. And I yeah. think that's what, the point I was... Yeah. That's the point I was yeah. trying to make is that I think the, the conversation was shifting towards um, blaming Trump, which agreed that he has a, a role to play. But I think that when a lot of times when that comparison is made, it's made in the sense that, oh, well, Obama handled Ebola well. And so we didn't have nearly as much death and stuff. And I think that's a flawed argument. And that was the only point I was trying to make is that while there are points to be made about Trump's flaws and Trump's mishandling, I don't think it's appropriate to really compare it to Obama's handling of Ebola. Before we jump into the conversation more, um, I just wanted to have, so we clearly we had one more person join us. Um, they're another person from America. Um, I just wanted to give them a chance like we did at the beginning to just say what state they're in. Um, and if it's not Michigan or Ohio, since we've already covered those, um, just what their general mandates are in, in that place. Uh, I am actually in the state of Ohio, the great state of Ohio. Okay. Um, and so generally, what are, what's your stance on both mask mandates and mask use um, separately? Your personal, in your personal relationship with it. 
I, I believe they should be required. I mean, the science tells us that masks reduce the transmission or the, uh, yeah, the transmission of disease. If you wear a mask and you come into contact with someone who is not wearing the mask and who carries the disease, high chances are you will not get it. But if you're both not wearing a mask, if you're both not wearing a mask and you both come, come in contact to a person with disease, you will get it. And then when you're both wearing a mask, the transmission is almost zero. Like the science says, it. if you look at Europe and if you look at South Korea, they're all essentially back to normal in some sense because of their immediate non-refusal to wear masks and their immediate understanding of, hey, this is real. They also had, they also were experienced, they also experienced COVID before us too. They, right. oh, we, oh, they experienced COVID before us, agreed. However, we all went through the same thing. The scientists didn't know what it was as well. The scientists knew that, oh, maybe if you wear a mask, you won't get it. And that was that they implemented that in Europe. And when it finally got to the United States, that was already implemented in Europe. And we still didn't decide to follow that model. I, and yes, you're right. They may have had they may have had it earlier than us. But again, they're back to normal. They followed a model of success. They wore their masks. I do have a question though that that was just brought up. And by based off of what you said, thank you for sharing. Uh, mm-hmm. How come Italy was so bad? Didn't Italy also know that masks were necessary? Like, well, I understand Italy has a higher older population and they, they, the smoking population is huge over there. But did masks not work in Italy? I'm I'm uninformed. Italy is essentially back to normal. If you go back and go 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 look into the news, Italy is essentially back to normal. No, I'm, I'm talking about initially. Initially, when we initially when we saw Italy begin Again, to crumble. Initially, when we started, we didn't know what was going on. We were out of rampant as well. We're still considered technically rampant in the United States with the disease. However, we have somewhat of control over it. Do we not? Did Italy finally not grab some type of control over it? I mean, it's all about the science. You follow the science. When science is wrong, science will come back and tell you that it's wrong and will make recommendations and ways to fix their, fix and find however they're wrong. And then when they find out however they're wrong, they will let you know why they were wrong. Dr. Fauci, for example, he first, when he first said uh, masks were required for everyone, one, that was because we needed to make sure the hospitals had the PPE. Two, again, he said this mandate could change. I'm subject to the science, unlike, just like we all are. Right. And I think I, I admire that Fauci has been handling it like that. I think for the largest, for the large part, he's been handling it well and speaking uh, clearly in, in the sense that, you know, it's not set in stone. I wanted to pose a hypothetical, uh, mostly to the Americans, but feel free if either of the internationals want to chime in too. So let's say hypothetically that Trump did, quote unquote, everything right, you know, that, that people are, are saying that he should have done now, you know, so implementing travel bans on Europe sooner as well, implementing mask mandates or you know, having more PPE generated. Um, so the PPE, I think, is less to this because, you know, there were, I suppose there were shortages um, early on in some of the hospital staff, but it wasn't, I don't think that in and of itself exacerbated the problem as much as the mask mandates. And so, that, and that's more so what we're talking about. So let's say hypothetically, Trump were to have imposed early on a, a nationwide mask mandate. Um, I just wanted to get everyone's thoughts on what, in this hypothetical situation where he poses that and he makes that law, what you think would be the outcome, if you think it would be different, if you think the United States would be better off right now, if you think that the the pushback would still exist, not exist, exist more strongly, um, just wanted to gather your guys' thoughts. Sorry, let me, let me just say something real quick. And I'm sorry, I have to um, leave soon. So let me just give my opinion on this. Sure. And I'm going to step out of the call. I, I personally think that if Trump had done this from the beginning, 
we can see that a majority of the people who are anti-mask, anti-Fauci, anti-whatever, you know, they like they are Trump supporters. So if, if Trump had said, you know, wear, wear a mask, wear some gloves, practice social distancing, even if these people did not understand the science behind it, if they like the fact that they were told by Trump to do these things, they would have done it just because Trump told them to do these things. I'm sure we all know, you know, recently Trump changed his tune on wearing masks, yeah. right? Earlier, he was not supportive of wearing masks at all. And then something happened in between. And now he started wearing masks and he's telling people to wear masks. It's similar with mail-in voting, but that's another another conversation. Little by little, you know, like he's, he's being very strategic about who he recommends to uh, wear masks and who he, like, and what he talks about and his audience and everything. But I feel like if he had talked about this from the beginning, the U.S. would not be in a situation in, in the situation they are in today. Not even close, because most of the people that support him would have listened to him. And regardless of why, everything's politicized. Everything's politicized in the U.S. or all over the world. You can argue, right? So it doesn't matter about science. It doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. It's all it's all rhetoric. So if Trump had instilled that rhetoric amongst his base, they would have listened to him regardless of what the facts were. And I wish he would have done that, but he didn't. So sorry to everybody else here. I had a great conversation, but I do have to step out. So thank you very much, everybody. Have a good good night. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. So I'd like to go back to what the gentleman from Nepal was talking about in so much as uh, Trump supporters would have just inherently followed what he said. And yes, I, I agree that there, <laughs> there is somehow a contingent of Trump supporters that, you know, just eat up everything he's putting down. But I feel like it, at least throughout 2020, he has lost a lot of his fan base due to his own fumbling. I, I feel that the vast majority of Republicans, true Republicans, don't really view him as a Republican anymore. And the people who he pulled from the blue collar, you know, working class, what were traditionally Democrats, the people he pulled from that demographic, I think are also starting to become disenfranchised with him. So I don't feel that the majority of people who were supporting him would just inherently do as he says. Um, and that, that might just be my view. Uh, aside from that, so we'll go to the initial hypothetical here. I, I feel like the results that we would be seeing, because you know we're not as far along as these other countries that have implemented mask mandates, China, et cetera, would be kind of comparable to what we're, we're presently seeing. Because once again, going back to imp- implementation of this, People have free will, and they're going <laughs> to disregard the laws that they don't want to uh, abide by, and that's what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing people complicit with these mask mandates in so much as they have a mask on their head somewhere, but it, it's not properly in place. You know, you got noses hanging out, you got people covering their chins all over the place. You know, <laughs> it's sort of a mixed bag of nuts as to how effective people are are using these. And unless you can mandate that somehow, if you figure out a way to break human will, I'm sure plenty of people would be interested in that. It's not going to be thoroughly effective because the United States seems to have a much more individualistic uh, mindset than other nations. You know, other nations are much more collectivized. 
they they are much more willing to sacrifice for the greater good and you know your fellow man etc whereas in the united states we very much have a sense of exceptionalism to where like well yeah other people should do that but i'm not really going to and yeah. so that's that's my concern right and so before we got four minutes left before we jump into the last um, I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to any of the contributors to the conversation. If you had something that you wanted to plug um, or something, just as a thank you for participating with us, um, just feel free. Um, we'll start with, I guess, UK, if you, if you have something that you want to plug and move on to the others. Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to come on. It's been great chatting to everyone. Um, I have my own podcast as well. Um, it's called the Honestly Mate Podcast. You can find it on Instagram at Honestly Mate Podcast. Um, be great if some people come and have a listen. It's a uh, it's a bit more bit more adult content in terms of language, etc. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a fun fun experience. So I'd love for people to come and have a listen. But it's been great chatting to everyone. Great, yeah, and thank you for participating. So yeah, Honestly Made Podcast. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. Either of the other Americans want to plug anything um, before we move on? And I know presently, this was sort of my uh, dabbling in the world of podcasts to see uh, how it goes. So maybe in the future, if you guys have me back for a different topic, I'll have something to plug for you. But as of now, uh, no plugs, plug free. <laughs> cool. All right. And that would be the same for myself. Got it. All right. So we've got two minutes left. So I guess if you wanted to give a brief minute long Give me your give me your best vine of 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 the right. hypothetical. I I would have to say if we're going back to the hypothetical, if you actually if the president from the beginning done everything he was supposed to do in regards of keeping the public informed, you yeah, know, mostly specifically on masks, but yeah, and, and the mask and and the mask in general, mm -hmm. mandating the mask, we yep. would have far less deaths as we do now. We would have far less transmission as we do now. Um, I, I just want to go back to the one point where he said Trump is losing a lot of his base. That is not the base of people who are refusing to wear masks. Right. Again, the whole issue here is that no one under actually understands the science. No one actually believes that this is not a lot. A lot of people actually believe that this is going on. And so how do you break that barrier? I don't know, but it could have started from the pulpit. That's all I'm going to say. I have one really, really quick question. And it's almost a yes or no question. Do you think that you've got an election in November? Do you think should um, Trump be not re-elected? Um, do you think the public perception around mask mandates and the general coronavirus situation will change if Biden wins? Oh, no, it's already been instilled that this is probably not a real thing or that, you know what, I've already been doing it this far and with this previous president, what's going to be changed with this president? It's already, it's already been corrupted. Like, I don't know what else we, where else we can go from here. I would agree with that almost 100%. Although I do view it would be in the best interest of this country if Trump does not get elected. All right. And I'm going to have to cut it off because we got less than one minute. Thank you all for taking part in the conversation. It was fantastic. And we really appreciate all of your different perspectives. Check us out and give us a listen. Thank you all. Call it a day. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating.
Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Say What Needs and on Instagram and Facebook at Say What Needs Saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast. Don't forget to continue the discussion. Thank you for listening. Thanks.